And we are live, I'm delighted to say, with my guest this week, Dorna Jones. Dorna, the speaker, uh, she's an author of multiple books, uh, as well as contributor to, to uh, others. She is somebody who helps people with uh, complex issues by helping them to shift their perspective. She's a blogger for the Huffington Post. Dorna, welcome to the show. I'm really delighted to be here. Thanks, Richard. And Thank you. Give, no, no, it's, it's a delight. And given our current context that we, we chose before the show, that perhaps we should start with your, with your ebook, Making Sense of Life's Interruptions, uh, How Apposite. So let's, let's start with that. What, what, was the, what was the central idea in that book, uh, Making Sense of Life's Interruptions? It was, oh, thank you. You know, it, it, that sort of came about because I had great plans. I had sort of, I was trying to follow all those society's rules where you work really hard and you do certain things and poof, you know, success results that, you know, the formula that they teach you in just about so many different places, society teaches you as part of societal conditioning. And in, in 2008, that is, that is not what happened. So, I mean, I'm not the only one, but there were many who just crashed epically. And I spent the next nine years you know, nomadic without a home and <laughs> everything else and sort of the thing, no matter what you tried, it, it didn't go. So you're really in a place where you have to both make sense of what's going on. You say, who am I in this new context I'm in? Never been here before. There's no instruction manual. And and what do I do with this? And so you're, you're in a place of making, I think, more conscious and intentional choices. And the first step is, you know, to answer that question, what the heck just happened? And, and what beliefs do I have or was I carrying around that just don't apply. Let's let's put it simply. So, I mean, it's relevant because here we are today in another one of those interruptions. Only it's a, a global one, and and it's a very, you know, from my point of view, yes, it's, it presents all sorts of difficulties and all of the emotions of that go with that. But there's also opportunity to re reinvent, you know, reinvent, redesign, and rethink. So, I think that when I wrote it, I was thinking, okay, everything you just throw everything up in the air re-examine everything and you get to ask a whole lot of questions and then you get to decide where, where you want to go from there so right well perhaps we should we should talk through a little bit what, what you've just talked about so you you in 2008 you ended up nomadic does that mean you lost lost your home what happened everything everything yeah lost everything including all the the invest you know i mean over time i lost all the investments as well um, yeah, you just, you, you lost, I lost everything. And so, uh, it, it tears you down to, I think really the core to it is that we always define ourselves, our security, our personal security based on our, what's going on around us. You know, do I have a home? Do I have this? Do I have, do I have all these things? And when those things aren't there, it takes you back to yourself and you say, well, who am I really? And, and, and where, what if I base my security in me? So, it, it, you know, those are the kinds of questions that arise. I mean, they sound existential and they probably are, but it's quite a practical set of questions because the option of when you're in that place, you, you can either get depressed and go down that rather slippery and not so pleasant slope, or you can just kind of rethink it and see it, you know, work with it in a different way and say, all right, I'm going to use this to uh, get better at bouncing forward to get, you know, more resilient I'm going to get better at a whole lot of things, uh, but I, in order to do so, I have to get rid of some fixed ideas about how the world works. So it, it's really just that big shift. Uh, I mean, it sounds cleaner 
in, in talking about it now than it was in experience. Yeah, I was going to say, did you, did you start to go down that slope before you came to this realization? Well, I, I definitely, yeah, definitely you go down that slope. You, you, you start slipping down. And, but fortunately, having, I've had more than one de- depression. And when you hit them, you go, okay, I, I know what this looks like. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a spiral down of your, basically, I'm going to speak frankly, it's your heart energy. As soon as your, your spirit starts dipping down, your sense of control starts to dive, your feeling that you can do anything, your sense of value, all those things, once those start to dive down, it's a fast slope. And, and I caught, I started, I trained myself to catch that, you know, and to kind of go, okay, here we go. No, 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 we're not going to go there. And then I started, you know, using that sensation to, make far more intentional decisions, introduce some things that allowed me to move forward, gratitude being a core one, a simple one, uh, but also, you know, just do, continuing the creative process. So, you know, I, I sort of gathered up, I wrote, you know, Decision Making for Dummies in 2014, but prior to that, I downloaded just a whole lot of information. Uh, I called it Diary to Destiny, never did anything with it, Making Sense of Life's Interruptions, which is like, life can be interrupted by anything what can we learn from it and and also at the same time you could see what was coming i mean you could see i could see that we were on a crash course with the ecology you know that biodiversity you know planetary health it, it that was evident in 04 02 it even earlier than that it was evident i mean i just found i have here rachel carson silent spring 1962 the first clarion call for that so we've been able to see this coming for a long time and there's just been this uh, lethargy, this, you know, complacency, if you will, and a lot of deeply entrenched patterns, systemic patterns. So this is the place where we get to throw those up and, and uh, work with it in a similar way. Mm. So, so I'm interested, particularly for anybody who resonates with what you've just said and who are starting themselves to feel like they may be going on one of those cycles downwards. What, you talked about training yourself to spot it. So, so what do you mean by that? How are you able to identify that you're on this track and how are you able to, to, to pull yourself out of it or pause yourself? Uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, it, it has to do with feeling, it really has to do with being aware. It's a sensing thing, you know, uh, in, in the Kenneffin model, it, it, it was nice of David to do that because there's this. Well, I'm just sensing. aware that people may not know the Kenneffin model of David. So yeah. you could maybe unpack no, but, that first but, uh, yeah, you know, he's got this lovely quadrant and, and, but core to all four quadrants and whether you're dealing with a different context is the word sensing, which everyone is capable of doing. So sensing is, is just how am I feeling, you know, at feeling? a heart, yeah, at a heart level. So not, not how should I feel or, you know, n- none of the head stuff, but just straightforward, how am I feeling? And then the, and the next layer to that is what am I focusing on? What am I paying attention to? And so if you're paying attention to the negative, if you're paying attention to um, how did I get, if you're angry over how you got there, if you're blaming somebody, if you're feeling victimized, those are all, you know, jumping off points for turning things around to a better place, to a better place to be, because it's all in us uh, at any point in time to, to turn things around. So you mean if once you've identified, oh, I'm blaming somebody or oh, I'm making myself a victim, that's once you've identified that's that gives you again gives you power presumably to stop pursuing that you bet. that track that thought process. Absolutely. Um, 
uh, and what am I feeling? So it's okay. And, and this is where I, you know, this is, this is where personally I found it very powerful to accept all the feelings, right? If I'm angry, if I'm sad, you know, it's all good. It's, it's not about having like positive emotions, right? It's, it's about sensing what those emotions are. Exactly. I mean, when you're in that stage of sort of being, okay, what's going on right now? I mean, you're just making sense out of it. It starts with how you're feeling. I mean, we use our, like it or not, we use our emotions to navigate. And, and so you can say, oh, no, I make rational decisions. Well, biologically and biochemically, you do not. They are completely entangled. And so it is, it's very, to be aware of your emotions allows you to work with them more effectively. And, and if you're not aware of them, then they run you. Right. So, yeah and then and then just talk us a little bit so so you started to 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 sense that you were going down this spiral you did you did this sensing work you were able what what were you then able to do once you got a grasp and you got a sense of where you were at uh you start reframing everything and and you you just look for the openings where you can recon you know like i'll, I'll give you the story i often tell is the story of watching the documentary with Ewan mcgregor and charlie borman uh, cycling from the, you know, England down to South Africa. And I've been in Africa and I've been in the, some of the back areas there and they, they keep, went into a village. They were invited in for dinner and they knew when they were having their dinner that they were eating someone else's meal for the week. You know, that these people just had virtually nothing, but they were so excited to have these two guys come through that they invited them for dinner. And I sort of thought, oh man, that's, that's the thing. I just have to see this differently. Here's people that are so, have really nothing. And yet they're so gracious to offer food that they, you know, they know what that means for them, but they're still great. And I just need to shift my, my angle on this. And so there, you know, it always comes in these small, you know, little steps, these small little tweaks of, of, of awareness. But, but as these tweaks build, you start getting a wider set of skills to to kind of build up over time. So, you know, first is the, as you said, first is, you know, observing and, and feeling and accepting. And then, and then from there you go, like, okay, well now that I can see it and I'm, you know, I'm not fighting with it because I've accepted that I'm in this place, then what next? And so, you know, being grateful for what you do have, what you can control, what, you know, and then of course the next tier would be, completely reframing it and seeing it differently and then moving forward right and then and so and this reframing so what were the concrete um, manifestations of this of this reframing then what started to shift that allowed you to get out of that cycle well i mean one of the things that i i'm well aware of is that biologically is that um Re okay i'm gonna it's a little phrase that i use but it's repression of your expression creates depression or aggression. In other words, basically energetically, your energy is either going to go in or it's going to go out in a big blast if you're not aware of this. So I just started writing. I, I realized I've just got to write and it didn't matter whether anybody read it or not. Uh, I just had to express and express and express. So whether it's photography or, I mean, that's not my thing, but if it's, you know, whether it's photography or writing or it was just getting the ideas out and, and feeling like I was accomplishing something, uh, which was really part of, of just kind of repositioning how I was, how I was working with these moments. Mm -hmm. So that's how it started. And I guess you didn't need much in the way of financial resources to do that. 
No, you don't. I mean, it, it, no, it, 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 you just need a computer. And mine broke a couple of times, but it was still, you know, uh, family helped out, different places kind of showed up. So it, it all worked out in the end. And even if it's, you know, if you don't have a computer, you can still use, I can't use it very well because I, my brain works faster than my hand, but, but um, you can still use journals and stuff like that. So it's really just ensuring that you're, you're just kind of continuing to not bottle it up, but to let things go. And then, you know, you've got some objectivity to take a look at and go, okay, so that's what was going on. Because once you back up, like anything, once you get some distance and some objectivity to it, you can make more sense out of it. Right. Okay. And I mean, you, I'm sure you've been through that. Like you, you've probably had patterns going on in your life and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> can we do, can we talk yeah. about that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, I've shared about this before, but uh, the, the major, I suppose, pattern interruption me, for me to begin with, with was, was with heavy drinking. And, you know, I'd, I spent a lot of time working in, um, in London, in a, in a management consultancy. Uh, and I suppose that the big pattern, yeah, for me was to stop drinking. Now that didn't happen sort of overnight. That was over a series of um, very confronting conversations with individuals in my life about uh, my drinking. Uh, not anybody within my corporate realm. I mean, that that behaviour was was very much enabled in the in the environment I was in. But it was those you know hard conversations uh, with some people to whom I'm very grateful to this day who who pointed out i suppose they did some sensing for me in a sense right they were they were an external sensor of my behavior and they were somehow able to and i must have been ready at the time to receive the message that you know richard your drinking isn't normal uh it it's uh you know you're not putting vodka on your cornflakes in the morning uh, but that doesn't mean you haven't got a problem with drinking and and i needed that to hear that message several times but eventually uh, something in me cracked and I, I realized well I know what cracked I woke up at, at one point at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon um having been drinking all night and 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 had that realization okay I, I you know I'm not going to achieve all the things I want to achieve in life with this this pattern about you with this lifestyle and that was the the first step um to stop quit drinking but then of course once I quit drinking which in some senses was the easy bit then I had to, then I started, well, chose to look really, but somehow was forced to look at uh, why it was I'd drunk so heavily in the first place. And that took me back to my childhood and ultimately my birth, which I know may sound a bit far out for some people, but uh, oh, that was yeah. the, uh, that was then, and that was, what was that, 12 years ago, over 12 years ago that uh, that journey started unpacking all of the, origins of those patterns uh, layer upon layer and going back and reliving a lot of the, the more traumatic aspects of my early life uh, healing resolving a lot of tears uh, but uh, yeah and, and to some extent still working on that I mean at a lesser intensity now much less much reduced intensity but uh, yes that's and then I, and then so slowly the patterns started to shift as I dealt with the underlying drivers for them. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's, uh, that's my, my mode of working, but interestingly enough, it did. Well, so first the major pattern just to simply stop the intake of the toxin. That was the first one. Um, but then over time, what had me 
develop more sort of sustain, yeah, sustainable ways of dealing with the dysfunction was was to begin with the that that question, what am I feeling? So important. What am I feeling? And to begin with, I couldn't, I didn't really have, I mean, I knew the word uh, sad or angry or, you know, I, I understood intellectually what those words meant, but it took me a long time to be able to really feel what it meant in my body to feel angry, to feel sad, to feel frustrated, you know, to, to really start to get it biologically, what those feelings meant for me. And, and then using that as an access to inquiring as to when I first felt those feelings, where did I, where, where, where did I first feel those? Where, where is this coming from ultimately? Cause well, the, 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 the phrase, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? If I've got this big reaction to something which seems completely out of place and disproportionate to the current scenario, there must be something in my past that's driving it. And so that that was the the cycle of unpicking over time was to to work out what were the early experiences that were driving these uh oversized reactions in the present, which I had been self-medicating for. Um yeah. Uh, and you're not alone. I mean, uh, the liquor sales in where I in the province I'm in has uh, in Canada has gone have gone up 40 percent. So since, uh, you know, this the, the whole self-isolation thing began. So it, it, it is a go to distraction for many, many people. And the beauty of it is that you recognize what your patterns were and then you work with them. So it, it they do shift over time. Is there a particular skill that you found that worked particularly like that sort of showed up eventually that you kind of go oh that's <laughs> there yeah, so it is the, the journaling so the two i think the two so the the skill two 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 principal skills i suppose if you, is the journaling so that ability to write down my feelings so this happened today what did i feel uh, and then the the reliving so that's the first thing that's the access point you know once i've really experienced embodied some reaction to an event uh, in usually through a set of feelings but sometimes through sort of physical sensations as well and then the second skill is to is to go back and relive it is this familiar is this feeling familiar when did i first feel it and then take and then put myself back in that situation you know what would i have done uh, in that situation had I not fe- had I been able to feel what was going on for myself had I been able to express myself you talked about uh, expression versus suppression now had I not suppressed in that moment back then what would I have said what would I have done with my body what would I have felt and mm. that that's Brilliant. that's the that's the, the the reliving that I found to be so important because that ultimately gets me to the tears and to the healing and to the grief and then as I grieve, it's it's literally dissolved from the system, dissolved from my organism and gone forever. That's the curative aspect of it, and, you know, for me. Brilliant. And it's, I mean, in terms of what's going on organizationally now, really timely, because in my years of, you know, 20 some odd years of facilitating at all different levels in organizations across sectors, you it's not hard to see the patterns that people, that that, that companies live. And, and of course, one of the, a lot of those systemic, patterns are showing up today so we're seeing the one that's addicted to command and control addicted to authority 
as as assuming authority is or leadership is authority based as opposed to intrinsic intrinsically uh, sourced and, and so that's one and the other one is addiction to perfection you know which which basically says you can't learn which means you are in big trouble <laughs> as an organization if you cannot learn if you're busy trying to make everything perfect and assuming that everything has to be absolutely then you you're you're just completely handicapped from an innovation standpoint so i mean in the same way that everybody has personal patterns organizations have their own patterns and and there's nothing like an interruption to throw those up in the air and and just watching the the different responses to remote working watching how that works watching even how governments respond you know the difference between how denmark responded uh, you know what they've been doing in terms of working out a deal so people didn't get laid off you know in a cooperative arrangement versus different other nations that just sort of says hey you're on your own and and and, it, and so it's a pretty random assortment of decisions based on you know where the leaders were at or where the decision makers were at at the time so yeah I think I think that's the beauty of the interruptions is it it is you know it sort of cuts across human personal and then organizational and then at the, at the much larger level, you know, societal. So very powerful time and very mm -hmm. in exciting times for redefining and, and reinventing uh, how we work with these things. Yeah, and that's interesting. That's an interesting framing of it because I think many organizations right now will, will be framing this as how do we, the question will be, how do we survive? Yeah. And, and another, and, and you know, that may be valid, right? That's not, it's not to say that's not valid, I mean, but, but, but also, like what what is this showing up about me what what is this showing up about our organization what's being revealed in this interruption really powerful question right yeah yeah and i mean on that note one of the assumptions that that humanity has made since time began uh although the early the early period of time they were much more sustainable you know like the wild people all the, the original people but but as you move forward uh, what people assume is that survival is based on at doing so at any cost. So it's a consumptive approach. We're going to, we're going to take this, we're going to eat it, you know, we're going to eat all the animals that we can. We're going to, you know, it's a harvesting exploitation mentality. And so when you have an interruption like this, that's harsh and sharp and, um, and really puts it in our faces, you know, and, and organizationally, any kind of interruption, doesn't matter what it is, the, the chance there is there to say, let's use our creativity to come up with a better approach. And so, you know, you can survive by getting desperate and, and sucking down resources, sucking down the human spirit, you know, sucking down biodiversity, whatever it is you feel you need to draw on. Or you can just say, hey, we've got a new platform for how we can, what we do with this and how we could, you know, create something better. So great time for shifting our angle on, you know, survival mm. we, we, we don't survive by exploiting what little is left we survive by co-creating together something that's new and that's where i see these cooperative efforts showing up in different corners of the of the planet and you just go oh yes yeah i understand, I understand that we we have a whole a different set of opportunities here mm. so. Um, so what are some of the examples of cooperative efforts that are inspiring you right now well, the one I just saw the other day was uh, Denmark, the government of Denmark sitting down with employers and labor unions and everybody and just working out a deal whereby, uh, you know, they, they, as long as the companies promise not to lay anybody off, then they would be able to guarantee 70 to 80% of the workers' salaries. 
Right. Now that's intelligent. That's an intelligent approach. Um, so, I mean, every, so that to me is, is tremendous cooperation. We're seeing uh, more than ever, I think, you know, Zoom, the, the, the conference platform Zoom that we're on right now, has now turned into a place where families get together on Zoom. And that didn't happen before. So, you know, there's just it, 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 people coming together in a, form, in a way in which uh, they wouldn't have done so otherwise. So it's all of a sudden the connection is starting to get reestablished, which, by the way, is one of the other disconnection is one of the sources of depression and so forth. So great opportunity to reconnect with people on a, on a really human level, not, not on a, you know, practical or likes or, you know, not on a, uh, sorry, not on a um, superficial level, like how many likes you have or all that kind of stuff, but on a really practical heartfelt level to connect with people, which is one of the reasons why your podcast is wonderful, by the way, because you know, it does, it does have these heart to heart conversations that you don't often see. You usually see these mental, you know, mental things that go on that, that just deal with that domain and not deal with the whole person. So mm. uh, we are, you know, I think going forward, we're dealing with the whole person. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, Bring us all uh, you online. Know, I ha yeah, yes, that's, that, that's true. Um, well, yeah, there's, there's the, the, this need to connect to our, yeah, to our families, to people are being, they're more confined to the home. I mean, I'm yeah. finding with my children now, I'm spending more time with my children. I'm having to take on a lot more, having to take on a lot more of the childcare. This is the way I speak, but I'm, I'm taking a lot, on a lot more of the childcare and uh, yeah, I'm spent a lot more time with my, my children and starting and then talking about feelings, starting to feel some guilt. Actually, I'm starting to feel some guilt. Like, well, should I, should I be spending more time with them? You know, under normal circumstances, like is it? So it's, uh, yeah. So I, I think this process of of checking in with how we're feeling as we move forward is such an important one. And you talk about this, so and I find that at an individual level, and you talk about it in your decision making book, as I understand it, in terms of this need to be checking in emotionally and sense making within organisations. So on a broader level, is, is that something you yeah. think is important now? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it always has been important. Unfortunately, companies just haven't been doing it. So you can go in and see companies completely addicted to action. So as long as they're doing solution, 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 problem solving, problem solving, you know, as long as they're addicted to that, uh, they, they wouldn't have seen any, anything coming. They, wouldn't, they would not see shifts coming because they're so, you know, in a tunnel down, down they completely lack foresight under those conditions so so you know this is where the, the objectivity stepping back and just saying okay we're, we're we're yeah we've got all this stuff going on but we have to get some you know higher level thinking if we're really just some distance and just take a look at things so that's a reflective process uh it's not something you can't you can't really reflect and and do at the same time it's kind of like running a you know a, a 50 meter dash and and saying i, I want to ponder the the direction I'm heading in when you're really just heading around in a circle. <laughs> so, you know, you have to step back and just say, what new directions should we be looking at? What, what's coming down the pipe? Uh, and, and it, that's a very intuitive, uh, more than if you can't in this complex world with the unpredictability, the volatility, you cannot use extrapolation, which we used to use in strategic work, but now it's more a matter of saying intuitively, What's going on? Where do I see things coming? And it's not intuitive in terms of personal. It, you have to put a collective together. So, you know, now we've got the term collective intelligence for that. But it, it's really just using everyone's view of what's coming down 
to, to, to do that work. And that's where the, you know, getting back, getting some distance, having the reflection, uh, sensing, you know, I mean, the, the emotions of an organization will tell you whether they're going to be resilient or not. Um, the degree of trust that that's involved, the, the, the spirit in the workplace, you know, how, how are people looking after each other? Is there a sense of belonging? Is there a strong sense of care? Do people support one another when the times are rough or do they get, you know, lopped off because they're not performing? So, you know, these are the measures, I think, that really show what, what the health of an organization is. And it's no, really, it's, it's fundamentally just a, a step up or a scaling, if you will, of what's involved for us personally as, as human beings. Yeah. And as you speak, I, what, what comes to me is that when I think, because I, I understand this idea of collective intelligence and, and how it's this really powerful asset that organizations are underusing and but when we think about the origins of that term and the and the re, the research, it's all been around in, intellectual problem solving, right? And they've studied right. the ability of groups to solve intellectual problems, and they found that when we increase turn take turn taking and reduce hierarchy, that these groups are able to enhance their collective intelligence and perform better at these cognitive tasks. But you've it almost expanded the sense of that because really to my mind you're talking about the collective intuition you know collect collective emotional state collective uh, sense so these so there's there's it's, it's it's about much more than collective intelligence is that right absolutely yes absolutely you know yeah and i like the word you just use collective intuition because that really is is what it amounts to yeah, yeah. very much so What's the sense of this organization, this, this organism? And before we talk, talk to, you know, before we came on air, we, we discussed whether or not to get into this idea that you wrote about in one of your HuffPost articles, actually, that the organization is part of life itself. Ah, yeah. Yes. How, how does, <laughs> how, how does, yeah, well, tell us what you mean by that. Well, I mean, first of all, where, where we had a breach between, the life support, you know, the life, the support, life support systems that support us, and and humanity goes way, way back. And it was one of those things where we just said, "Oh, these are two separate worlds." Man dominates. Well, we've done quite a bit of domination, and in the course of that, we've drawn down on the life support systems that we use, the air, water, soil quality, uh, quite heavily. We've also done that through a linear decision-making process because we haven't considered impact. We haven't considered relationships organizations are known as living systems quite simply because it's an interaction of relationships and it's an, it's it's not about the the you know the the capital assets the things that you know if you if you take people away will those things run by themselves no you know and the, and the 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 resiliency of a of a company is based on the power of the human spirit it's based on the power of those people collectively to come up with better, different way approaches to, to put them into play. And it's not run on mental energy. That's exhausting. You know, if people go home at the end of the day and they're exhausted, it's because they're running off of mental energy and, and they need something more nourishing. So a living system recognizes that, you know, companies are a part uh, respect, must respect nature because that is where they're getting their raw supplies from. They don't count it. It's been called externalities for eons because it can't be counted. So, you know, it was a convenient way of dealing with it. Let's just ignore it. But you can't do that now. We're, we've got our face against the wall, the whole climate change issue. 
uh, puts it, you know, our faces right smack up against, you know, how is it time now for us to be responsible for our actions? You know, is it time now for us to take care of every bit of life on this planet? And so there's two layers I'm describing here. One is the living system inside an organization, and the other one is the interaction with the outside world, with society, with the, you know, the environment, with the planet itself. So we have, you know, it is a much wider set of interactions. And when we understand that, uh, and there are companies that do understand this, and, and public companies, they're big, and they're running their, their man, what I call biomimicry management, but they're running off of the principles that complex systems use in order to, you know, be sustain, you know, to, in order to be resilient. I'm going to use the word sustainable because it's not about that. It's about vitality. Do we have vitality in our organizations? Do we have, you know, the vitality in our natural systems? And, and we don't right now because we've depleted them. But we have the chance to fix that. We have the chance to regenerate and rejuvenate those systems. That's, that's exactly the crossroads we're in right now. This is the, the gap that we can create from. So um, that's yeah. living systems. It's a much wider set of interactions. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and it makes sense to me that the way that you're talking about we take care. So we take care of the human beings inside our organization. But for, for that to to be coming from a co some kind of coherent, consistent worldview, then we ought to be taking care of right, the, the, the wider system that supports this system over which we have the most, most control or the most um, stewardship, right? So, yeah. And I mean, you know, we're the dominant species on the planet. We have been that and, and we've, we've been extremely reckless uh, with that power, so to speak. So with that kind of, of, power to make decisions about what life survives, what life dies. It, it, it really demands a much higher level of responsibility and self-responsibility, organizational responsibility, you know, societal responsibility and how people look after other people. It, it's, it's a much higher level of responsibility and a, a real commitment to, to that because there are going to be some very tough gaps to cross. There are going to be some, there's going to be territory that's unfamiliar it's uncertain it's it's not going to be predictable it's going to be just what it is and 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 sort of the opportunity then is to step into that knowing personally and organizationally for that matter that you have the trust on the you know in yourself you have got the trust in in your capabilities and or you've got the trust in others if we extend it to to um you know company-wide or family or team but it, in other words in in a, a group of belonging to take on whatever shows up and, and to really work with that to create something better. You know, it, it, we always have control over how we respond. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, comes back to where we started this conversation, right? You talked about <laughs> your, your OA experience and yeah, taking, taking control over how you re responded to that set of set of circumstances. Now, many of us are faced with this, the choice about how we respond to this new set of sets of circumstances. And I suppose you're placing that in a broader context of a more general sense of responsibility for us. How, how do we not only deal with, you know, this particular, you know, the, what's the nature of the way in which we, or the nature of our actions in dealing with this particular crisis, but then more broadly, what's the nature of our behavior with, with respect to the broader ecosystem? Exactly. And I mean, this is where the climate change uh, 
issue, the climate, the, the, the real need to face climate change and to treat it as, as for the seriousness that it holds for all life on the planet. This is a place where instead of tinkering around with small tasks that a lot of companies would like to do, we've got bigger things that really engage much deeper levels of human ingenuity than we have thus far touched or tapped. We just haven't set the conditions for that. Uh, it, there are, of course, that's not a blanket statement. There's plenty of places, or there are places at least, where, where those responses like the XPRIZE work. But in terms of reconnecting to nature, it starts so simply, you know, just going out, spending time. I, there's a group of mothers that I see that take their kids down to a creek, and it's small, but this is where you learn about systems thinking. This is where you see, you know, systems interaction, and this is where animals and birds show up. And, 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 and all of a sudden, instead of everything being little, little lines connecting dots thing, you start seeing the whole flow of it. And I mean, that, that's, that's beautiful and powerful. So yeah, it's definitely a time for bringing more of who we are uh, out at a creative level. Right. Well, you said a couple of things. So, so are you linking uh, bringing more of who we are out with connecting with nature? Big part of it, um, because it is a whole system, and so are we. You know, the body is a whole system of interactions. It's a 50 billion cells working together to keep you healthy. That's, that's not insignificant. And as long as you treat, you know, you feed it, you know, you're in the right environment, you've got clean air, you know, you've got quality food, it, it can actually do its job. The minute you start compromising on food and everything else, it can't do its job to the same degree or if, if emotionally you have a an interruption that you don't actually deal with or address then you know it gets stored and and the kinds of things you've described in your own experience come sharply to the surface in in one way or another so it's exactly the same it's like a, a metaphor if you will um nature systems are are healthy when there you know there's respect given for these interactions when there is an understanding, it doesn't even have to be understanding. There just has to be enough respect. Uh, understanding certainly helps, but but having respect for it is is really key to that. So yeah, simple place for everybody to start is to just spend some time. Right, connecting, with, and then that allows us to bring more of our to to enhance our creative and creative potential. In fact, we've had uh, possibly two researchers now on the show who both have uh-huh. uh, evident you know. Scientific evidence to suggest that our creativity is enhanced by t- by time in nature, so that that makes sense. Um, what else do we What else do we need to focus on then? Because this time in particular, we're going to need to somehow. This is going to be a test for our creative capabilities for so many of us, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so spending time in nature, de- dealing on wherever we might be emotionally blocked, where else should we be looking to maximize maximize our creative potential? I, I think the, the big shift uh, at a leadership level is to recognize that every single person has the capacity to lead in their own way. So it, that, that's a redefinition of how we distribute power. It's a redefinition of how we even make decisions because it now puts you know, more control in, everybody's, in, in, everybody's, in, in each person. And, and, and of course, in the relationships that that person, you know, in the interactions that, that you know, you're working with all the time. So uh, I think it's a rethink then of, of how, we, how we run organizations. And, and this is, you know, you've had a couple of conversations with Tom Vanderloop on, 
on their self-managed work. Uh, I, you know, you also talked to Pim and uh, Demore with Corporate Rebels. I just did the same, you know, an interview with Pim as well. So, I mean, great examples for organizations on where to go. You know, you've got, you've got, it's not, this is not new territory. There's new, there's people that have forged the path and what you're doing is learning from them. So I think that's the other part of it. So personally, there's some serious resilient skills that, that you can develop. And most of them, funnily enough, center around breathing, but just going into nature shifts your brainwave state. Your people, I'm sure, previous people, I'm sure talked about that if they're, you know, tipped into neuroscience mm. at all. Uh, that's a, a really good self-care way. So, you know, care for the self and then building on that, uh, rethinking systems and processes internally. Yeah. Yeah. What you've just picked up on there, uh, breathing, you know, a previous guest on uh, conversational intelligence spoke, spoke very eloquently on how much of our time we spend in fear, right? We're in this, the, the, the back of our brain, you know, the, the, the fight flight uh, mode, an extraordinary, uh, an extraordinary high proportion of our time we're in there in that state and just simply by breathing and connecting to the breath and getting into the belly breathing we can disengage from that from that state and again it's just so yeah. simple but another way yeah. to enhance our potential for creativity yeah absolutely yeah but you definitely cannot uh, do be creative from a depleted place you have to mm. look after yourself shift your shift your orientation so that you're in a, a you know place where you're being nourished for your creativity you can't mm. you can't create from from a state of exhaustion or depletion that has and to then, shift and then working on creating organization where where the system itself allows for this expanded capability as you say allowing people to lead at all levels distributing the leadership and the, uh, yeah yeah because it's all yeah. very well people doing all this work on themselves, but then if they get into the office and they're boxed out in their cu cubicle, like you're not really maximizing the potential. No. And I mean, the, 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 I think the really tremendous thing that's happened with remote working, forcing a remote working, if you will, is that people get a taste of autonomy and what they can do with their time. Now that means the people in the organizations that are saying, you know, okay, I want you at your desk nine to five have no idea how productivity works. It doesn't work nine to five. It works in 90 minute sprints. It works in the rhythm of the day, but it does not work nine to five. So some of these beliefs need to go. You know, some of those rigid ideas about how work gets done need to go so that the autonomy that people are experiencing now can continue because can you imagine having a taste of autonomy as just as you said, you know, I've got time with my my child and and does that mean at the end of this i go back to not having that time whoa i mean that that's and i mean just even in education now they're starting to put more courses online and the kids are going great i don't have to spend this time commuting i i you know i'm not contributing to the damaging of the environments one of my students said yesterday because i do that just for fun and and you know so so they're seeing the value of doing things differently, thinking differently, leading differently. And uh, man, that's a massive opportunity in front of us. So once we've had that experience, I don't think there's any going back. I don't think you can go back without there being uh, some suffering involved in the loss of freedom, in the loss of being able to have control over your life, more control over your life. And uh, you know, it means that more people will, will need that to stay. We'll keep mm. that. And that means organizations have to adapt. Yeah. Well, and I think because this is such a pervasive 
pattern interruption, right? It's business, it's education, it's it's family, childcare, it's it's across the board. We we yeah, we absolutely are going to see. And and, and it's interesting you put it in terms of autonomy. Uh, but yeah, of course, people are naturally, you know, people literally physically cannot be monitored at the same level when they're working in their homes, or at least for, for the most part, of course, we do have some stories of, yes, kind of horrific home working conditions where almost every keystroke, keystroke is monitored, right? But for, for many of us, this will represent being given a lot more autonomy. And I, in fact, one of one, a client of mine was just sharing yesterday how her boss, who had always been dead against home working, is now loving it. Right, and as now, so so this being being forced uh, to shift, uh, yeah, may may have people challenge their beliefs, and this is one of the things you talk about in your decision making for dummies, right? Is that this idea that we have to uh, interrogate our beliefs in order to make good decisions? Well, this is perhaps forcing a lot of people to confront their beliefs. Yeah, it's very confronting in that way, and I, I think that's incredibly valuable because it sort of blows away a lot of the more invisible assumptions that one makes, you know, day to day, and, and brings them right to the surface and says, "Yeah, how do you feel about it now? Now that you don't have to quite live nine to five, or you can live it on your terms, you have control over how you live with it. Uh, then how does that how does that feel? I mean, I'm I was a single mom, so I had had. I started my own business just because as a single parent, I needed the freedom to be able, well, not because of that, but it was a factor. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I mean, I've got this high value for autonomy, so don't put me in a box. I'll just lose it. But, but I needed the freedom to be able to go and, you know, take her to school, pick her up, go to her certain events. And I might work till midnight, but I had the freedom to be able to rearrange my day so that I could be, you know, get, get those things done that were important to me. And, and that is, is what it, you know, I think it's, it's all about is just having the freedom to, to do those things. And of course, what's interesting, going back to what you're saying is that this whole business of nine to five, when, when, uh, and trust, it, it requires trust. It, it requires not monitoring what people are doing at home, but saying, here's the goal. That's what we're working toward. Let's go for that. How you get there is up to you. Otherwise, you've got this this patriarchal approach to management, which says, and it, you know, came up in a conversation. You know, my people need to earn my trust. You know, you're kind of going, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, if, if the CEO comes up with that, they're coming up with the idea that they're the dad and everybody else is the kids, and you know, you, you guys just have to behave accordingly. Well, no, not 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 that's so outdated at this point in time it requires a serious update. So this is, you know, again, as you say, because it's been forced, it's across the board. Um, those kinds of approaches uh, need serious refreshing. It's an opportunity to kind of look at that and go, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd, I'd suffocate under those conditions. So, yeah. yeah. Although I think what you, you brought in your personality there is, is it a pertinent point, right? Your, your high need for autonomy. And, yeah. and something that Dr. Sarah Perry came on the show, she's an expert in remote working. She found that for, 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 in the main, productivity goes up when people are given the remote working option. But for certain personality types, it can actually go down. And for, it's for those personality types who, who have a need for a high level structure. of direction and structure. So actually, the expression of trust and caring for somebody may be being more prescriptive. And it may look more patriarchal, let's say. But actually, that may be something that's something that some, somebody needs. 
No, absolutely. And I mean, it's one of the reasons why people, when they leave, you know, a corporate setting or they've got life is, you know, routine is regimented. There's, there's a specific set of, of, uh, there's a lot of structure that goes with that. And then they try to become an entrepreneur and it's, it's hard because, um, it's a different mindset altogether. So, you know, I'm not, I totally agree with you. I think that when you're shifting into a remote working, you've got to provide people with the support structure so they know how, because it's a completely different set of decisions. You know, how do I focus myself so I can actually get done what I need to get done while I'm being a parent, while I'm, you know, doing all these other things that all of a sudden are all mashed up into one big uh, jumble of, of time. So, you know, it, it is very much around what kind of support do you need? Not report in when you go to the bathroom, but what support do you need in order to get your work done out of home? Yeah. You know? Am I giving you, for, for certain people, it may be a question of, am I giving you enough direction? Am I, yeah, am I giving you enough structure? Yeah. What do you need? What do As you opposed need? to tell us, you know, when you're going to the bathroom or, <laughs> yeah. you know, leaving your desk. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which is just, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, indeed. Good. Um, well, it feels like we've had a, uh, you know, a really good, good look at what this, this interruption might mean for us. Is there anything you feel like we've sort of missed off in this, this discussion of where we're at? I don't think so. We've covered quite a bit of territory. I think it's safe to say. So yeah, delightful and a lot of fun. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, no, it's been, it's, it's been great. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope people find this, this valuable. So for people who Want to learn more about what you know, what you've shared and what we've discussed? Where's the best place for people to go and find you? Uh, at the moment, probably. Oh gosh, it's hard to say. But LinkedIn, obviously, that's that's an easy place to go. Um, I have a podcast, the Inspirational Insights Podcast. We've talked about you and know, I've talked about that. Uh, I also have from Insight to Action, which is my website. I'm rewriting it, but that's what I've got. So it's kind of what what you see is what you get. <laughs> there uh yeah and then of course you know there's the usual outlets like twitter and so forth but mm. yeah 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 and, and i the, do have a patreon site oh patreon okay for to support the podcast okay yeah. great yeah and from the and i can say from the insight to action website and of course we'll post links to all of this beneath there's a there's a list of all of your blogs and i found that you know i i found your um half post blogs eminently readable quite entertaining oh. in the way you don't pull your punches and you know in terms of how management uh, looks today and how it could look differently so uh oh thank you well, accessible, you, know, you know. yeah that that platform closed down when they brought in a new editor so um we're not blogging on that anymore but i'm glad i'm glad they, the ones you have a value so thank you mm. that's great good okay well thank you uh <laughs> very much for your time and well, yeah I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll speak again Thank you. We will. Thanks, Richard. Thanks Thank to you. everyone. Thanks. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.